Chapter Twenty Nine of the Stones of Venice, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April Gonzalez. The Stones at Venice, Volume One, by Jean Ruskin. To Roof. The modes of decoration hitherto considered have been common to the exteriors and interiors of all noble buildings, and have taken no notice of the various kinds of ornament which require protection from weather, and are necessarily confined to interior work. But in the case of the roof, the exterior and interior treatments become, as we saw in the construction, so also in decoration, separated by broad and bold distinctions. One side of a wall is, in most cases, the same as another, and if a structure be concealed, it is mostly on the inside. But, in the roof, the anatomical structure, out of which decoration should naturally spring, is visible, if at all, in the interior only, so that the subject of internal ornament becomes both wide and important, and that of external, comparatively subordinate now so long as we were concerned principally with outside of buildings we might be safe to leave expressional character out of the question for the time because it is not to be expected that all persons who pass the building or see it from a distance shall be in a temper which the building is properly intended to induce so that ornaments somewhat at variance with this temper may often be employed externally without painful effect but these ornaments would be inadmissible in the interior for those who enter will for the most part either in the proper temper which the building requires or desirous of acquiring it the distinction is not rigidly observed by the medieval builders and grotesque or profane subjects occur in the interior of churches in bosses crockets capitals brackets and such other portions of the minor ornament but we do not find the interior wall covered with hunting and battle pieces as often as the lombardic exteriors and thus the interior expression of the roof or ceiling becomes necessarily so various and the kind and degree of fitting decoration so dependent upon particular circumstances that it is nearly impossible to classify its methods or limit its application I have little, therefore, to say here, and that touching rather the omission than the selection of decoration, as far as regards interior roofing, whether of timber or stone, roofs are necessarily divided into surfaces, and ribs or beams, surfaces, flat or carved, ribs traversing this in a direction where main strength is required, or beams, filling the hollow of the dark gable with the intricate roof tree or supporting the flat ceiling wherever the ribs and beams are simply and unaffectedly arranged there is no difficulty about decoration the beams may be carved the ribs moulded and the eye is satisfied at once but when the vaulting is unribbed as in plain wagon vaults and much excellent early gothic or when the ceiling is flat it becomes a difficult question how far the surfaces may receive ornamentation independent of their structure 
I have never myself seen a flat ceiling satisfactorily decorated, except by painting. There is much good and fanciful panelling in old English domestic architecture, but it always is in some degree meaningless and mean. The flat ceilings at Venice, as in the Scuola di San Rocco and Ducal Palace, have in their vast panelling some of the noblest paintings on stretched canvas which the world possesses, and this is all very well for the ceiling. But one would rather have the painting in a better place, especially when the rain soaks through its canvas, as I have seen it doing through many a noble tincheret. On the whole, flat ceilings are as much to be avoided as possible, and, when necessary, perhaps the panelled ornamentation rich coloured patterns is the most satisfying, and loses least of valuable labour. But I leave the question to the reader's thought, being myself exceedingly undecided respecting it, except only touching one point, that a blank ceiling is not to be redeemed by a decorative ventilator. I have more confirmed opinion, however, respecting the decoration of curved surfaces. The majesty of a roof is never, I think, so great as when the eye can pass on to stove over the cause of its curvatures and trace the dying of the shadows along its smooth and sweeping bolts, and I would rather, myself, have a plain rich gothic vault, with all its rough stones visible, to keep the sleet and wind out of cathedral aisle, than old fanning and pendanting and foliation that ever bewildered Tudor weight. But may say, all fresco may of course be used as far as we can afford to obtain them, for these do not break the curvature. Perhaps the most solemn roofs in the world are the apse conchas of the Romanist basilicas, with their golden ground and severe figures. Exactly opposed to these are the decorations which disturb the serenity of the curve without giving it interest, like the vulgar panelling of St. Peter's and the Pantheon, both, I think, in the last degree detestable. As roofs internally may be divided into surfaces and ribs, externally they may be divided into surfaces and points or ridges. These latter often receive very bold and distinctive ornament. The outside surface is of small importance in Central Europe, being almost universally low in slope, and taught throughout Spain, South France, and North Italy. Of still less importance where it is flat, as a terrace, as often in South Italy and the East, mingled with lower domes, but the larger Eastern Arabian domes become elaborate in ornamentation. I cannot speak of them with confidence, to the mind of an inhabitant of the North, a roof is a guard against wild weather, not a surface which is forever to bask in serene heat, and gleam across deserts like a rising moon. I can only say that I have never seen any drawing of a richly decorated eastern dome that made me desire to see the original. Our own northern roof decoration is necessarily simple. Coloured tiles are used in some cases with quaint effect. But I believe the dignity of the building is always greater when the roof is kept in an undisturbed mass, opposing itself to the variegation and richness of the walls. The Italian round tiles is itself decoration enough, a deep and rich flooding, which all artists delight in. This, however, is fitted exclusively for low pitch of roofs. On steep domestic roofs, there is no ornament better than may be obtained by merely rounding or cutting into an angle the low extremities of the flat tiles or shingles, as in Switzerland, 
Thus the whole surface is covered with an appearance of scales, a fish-like defense against water, at once perfectly simple, natural, and effective at any distance, and the best decoration of sloping stone roofs, as with spires, is a mere copy of this scale armor. It enriches every one of the spires and pinnacles of the cathedral of Catans, and many a Norman and early Gothic buildings. Roofs covered edge with lead have often patterns designed upon lead, gilded and relieved with some dark colour, as on the house of Jack Cour at Bourg, and I imagine the effect of this must have been singularly delicate and beautiful, but only traces of it now remain. The northern roofs, however, generally stand in little need of surface decoration, the eye being drawn to the fantastic ranges of their dormer windows, and to the finials and fringes of their points and ridges. Whether dormer windows are legitimately to be classed as decorative features seems to me to admit of doubt. The northern spire system is evidently a mere elevation and exaggeration of the domestic turret with its lookout windows, and one can hardly part with the grotesque lines of projections, though nobody is to be expected to live in the spire. But, at all events, such windows are never to be allowed in places visibly inaccessible, or unless in a natural and serviceable scale. Under the general head of roof ridge and point decoration, we may include, as above noted, the entire race of fringes, finials, and crockets, as there is no use in any of these things, and as they are visible additions and practical portions of the structure. More caution is required in their use than any other features of ornament. And the architect and spectator must both be felicitous humour before they can be well designed or thoroughly enjoyed. They are generally most admirable, but the grotesque northern spirit has most power, and I think there is almost always a certain spirit of playfulness in them. Adverse to the grandest architectural effects, or at least to be kept in severe subordination to the serene character of the prevalent lines. But as they are opposed to the seriousness of majesty on the one hand, so they are to the weight of dullness on the other. And I know not any features which make the contrast between continental domestic architecture and our own more humiliatingly felt, or which gives so sudden a feeling of new life and delight when we pass from the streets of London to those of Abbeville or Rowan, as the quaint points and pinnacles of the roof gables and charrettes, the commonest and heaviest roof may be redeemed by a spike at the end of it, if it is set on with any spirit, but the foreign builders have, or had, at least, a peculiar feeling in this, and gave animation to the whole roof by the fringe of its back, and the spike on its forehead, so that all goes together, like the dorsal fins and spines of a fish. But our spikes have a dull, screwed-on look, a far-off relationship to the nuts of machinery, and our roof fringes are sure to look like fenders, as if they were meant to catch ashes at the London's smoke clouds. Stone finials and crockets are, I think, to be considered in architecture, but points and flashes of light are in the colour of painting or of nature. There are some landscapes whose best character is sparkling, and there is a possibility of repose in the midst of brilliancy, 
or embracing it, as on the fields of summer sea or summer land. Calm and deep peace on this high world, and on the dews that drench the firs, and on the silvery gossamers that twinkle into green and gold. And there are colorists who can keep their quiet in the midst of the jewelry of light, but, for the most part, it is better to avoid breaking up either lines and masses by too many points, and to make the few points used exceedingly precious, so the best crockets and finials are set, like stars, along the lines, and at the points, which they adorn, with considerable intervals between them, an exquisite delicacy and fancy of sculpture in their own designs. If very small, they may become more frequent, and describe lines by a chain of points, but their whole value is lost if they are gathered into bunches or clustered into tassels and knots, and an overindulgence in them always marks lowness of school. In Venice, the addition of the finial to the arch head is the first sign of degradation. All her best architecture is entirely without either crockets or finials, and her ecclesiastical architecture may be classed, with fearless accuracy, as better or worse, in proportion to the diminution or expansion of the crocket. The absolutely perfect use of crocket is found, I think, in a tower of Giotto, in some other buildings of Pisan school. In the north they generally err on one side or other, and are either florid and huge, or mean in outline, looking as if they had been pinched out of stonework, as throughout the entire cathedral of Amien, and are besides connected with the generous sporty system which has been spoken of under the head of Archibald's decoration. Employed, however, in moderation, they are among the most delightful means of delicate expression and the architect has more liberty in their individual treatment than in any other feature of the building. Separated entirely from the structural system, they are subjected to no shadow of any other laws than those grace and chastity, and the fancy may rage without rebuke, for materials of the design through the whole field of the visible or imaginable creation. End of chapter 29 Recording by April Gonzalez.